0: Hello, hello. Welcome to the Art Roundup podcast. I'm Zara, your host as always, and this week we're going to be doing an episode about Frida Kahlo, a very, very famous uh, artist from Mexico. Um, And I'm going to be doing something a little bit different this week. So rather than going into more of a theoretical art history stance, I'm just going to do a really in-depth artist profile, if you will. Because a lot of people know her for her face, uh, her fabulous moustache and unibrow. But we're also going to go into a bit more about her politics, the influence she's had on the art world, and also Mexican culture as a whole. I'm really, really excited for this one. So if you are, you guys are all ready, let's get into it. As always, all images and notes will be on my instagram and twitter at the art roundup let's go magdalena carmen frida carlo y calderon also known as frida carlo was born on the 6th of july 1907 and died on the 13th of july just a few days after her birthday in 1954 she was born in mexico city to a german father and a mestiza mother a mestiza being uh, mixed between uh, pre-Columbian indigenous uh, cultures and uh, Spanish as well. She spent most of her childhood and even her some of her adult life in what is now the Frida Kahlo Museum, also known as La Casa Azul, so the Blue House. Frida ha- faced a lot of challenges from a very young age. Um, she was born with spina bifida. Um, and contracted polio when she was six years old. When she was 18 years old, she got into one of the biggest accidents in her life, Uh, a a trolley accident, where she broke multiple, so many bones. Her foot was crushed, her back was broken, her pelvis was broken... She was stabbed through the abdomen by a handrail. And she convalesced for about two years because of all of these uh, injuries. And even when she was in the hospital, they didn't believe she could uh, survive. Um, And uh, even though she became quite an active person, she was crippled by chronic pain, by... You know just ongoing medical issues related to all of those severe severe injuries for the rest of her life it 's important to note however, despite her physical limitations she was always quite a, a, a weak uh, person physically she was so strong uh, mentally and and emotionally and you can really see that in her work and uh, and while it didn't define her it was a really big part of her her work and you can see this in her painting the broken column where her her chest is completely open and she's wrapped up in bandages and she's in a desert and her spine is represented by a broken column. She's got nails in her and she feels like she's this patchwork human and she's been torn apart and put together and torn apart and put together and she's slowly becoming sort of this patchwork person. And I think it's a really interesting sort of uh, deep dive into her psyche because it really was a a big part of her, her life. Because she did spend so much time convalescing and, you know, towards the end of her life, she was bedridden and, you know, for the two years uh, where she was uh, after the accident, she was convalescing. In my opinion, though... This contrast between the broken body that she lives in and the strong natural imagery in her work shows that she doesn't actually place a lot of stead in the strength of the physical. She reaches for the spiritual and the magical and shows in her art that the political and intellectual notions she believes in are separate from her physical form. Also, this connection to the land represents the traditional beliefs in Mexico as well. She finds uh, a connection through her family unit, despite the issues that she has with her family, being that sometimes her childhood was very lonely and very sad and loveless. And eventually, her husband uh, would cheat on her with her own sister. And through her relationship with her country, she finds a lot of connection to the land itself, and then finally her country's relationship with its own history. So, being a Spanish-speaking country, and then going back even further to its its indigenous cultures and its indigenous histories. And I think these roots are so strong within her psyche, and I, I really think it contributes to her dislike of America. Um, you can see this um, in the comparison of Mexico and uh, America being a quite a consistent subject of her work, um, In especially in uh, the 1932 painting, Self-Portrait on the Borderline Between Mexico and the United States. You can see in that painting that on the Mexico side, you've got this beautiful, vegetal, lush plant life. And... You've got this sort of Aztec or Mayan temple. You've got these small figureheads, indigenous uh, figurines, and then you've got America, which stands very corporate and uh, tall buildings and impersonality. And in 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 the lowest in the lowest part of the painting, you can see that the roots of the plants on the Mexican side go down so strong, and yet. On the American side, you've just got electricity and and wires and means of uh sort of spreading their their message to the rest of the world and I think this really shows how tapped in to to what she believed in and how um how important Mexico was to her and how important those connections were. in in her work. While she is a cultural icon now she wasn't actually relatively known until the late 70s when her work was used as part of art historians work and also political activists and in towards the the early 1990s she became not only recognized as a figure in art history but also um a a very important symbol for the chicano movement uh civil rights movement in in mexico her work is actually drawn from a huge range of influences so in general people characterize her art as magic realism or surrealism um but she, she draws a lot of inspiration from her, her Mexican culture, the folklore of that country, but also pre-Columbian Aztec beliefs, Eastern philosophy, and also medical imagery, um, going back to that idea that, uh, you know, a lot of her, her life influenced her work and her pain really bled into her, into her work. And whilst her work is really introspective, it also deals with sort of very overreaching topics, uh, especially of her time. So uh, she had very strong political views and a very strong sense of national identity, and she didn't like those being challenged. So, um, and so when she went to America, she dealt with a lot of you know capitalist ideals that kind of went against her communist background. But she also dealt with uh, the issues facing common people uh, of Mexico at the time. It was these strong feelings and great passions that kind of drew uh, Frida and her husband, Diego Rivera, together. And I hate to quantify someone's life by their relationship with someone else, but Their marriage and their relationship together was very fraught and very turbulent, but also really central to the work that she did in her lifetime. Because they were married from uh, 1928 to uh, her death in 1954, but with uh, a break in between uh, 1939 and nineteen forty. Because he had an affair with her sister. He had multiple affairs, but the, the one that really sort of broke them apart was uh, the one with h- h- her sister. It was during this time that she painted one of her her most uh, well-known paintings, The Two Fridas, in 1939, where she paints two of herself. One is in a more traditional Mexican uh, uh costume it's white it's very much more bridal but she has got scissors and she's cut her chest open and her heart is bad and it's broken and yet she is attached to a future version of herself where her heart is intact and she's a modern woman and she is moving forward and she said that this painting really expressed her desperation and loneliness from the separation uh, with diego this painting was actually acquired by the National Institute of Fine Arts in Mexico City in 1947. And the purchase price for it was about $1,000 or 4,000 pesos at the time. And it was the highest price that Frida was ever paid for a painting during her lifetime. And I think it's really important uh, that she was actually a working artist and she was an independent artist separate from her exceptionally um, successful husband. Um, And the relationship that she had with her successful artist husband really just pulled out her creativity from deep within her soul. And you really see her emotion um, in her paintings. Like I said before, she only really received mainstream attention um, after her death and sort of it towards the end of the 70s but and and while she's seen as one of the most significant artists of the 20th century she also has become a caricature of herself and we I think some a lot of people fail to look at her art without seeing without seeing this caricature that we've created through uh, quote, Frida mania, end quote. And there's a really great uh, quote from art historian uh, Oriana Badley, and she says The 21st century Frida is both a star, a commercial property complete with fan clubs and merchandising, and an embodiment of the hopes and aspirations of near religious groups of followers. This wild hybrid Frida is a mixture of tragic bohemian, virgin Guadalupe, revolutionary heroine, and Salma Hayek. Has taken such great hold in the public imagination that it tends to obscure the historically retrievable Carlo. So this really shows that, to, to my point, is that we lose a lot of who she was because we recognize her face so clearly. Unless this caricaturization of Frida doesn't negate how important she is as a symbol for uh, Latin American people, not only artists and creators and creatives, but also as a political um, figurehead, I guess. Um, So like I mentioned before, she became one of the icons for the Chicano movement, which is uh, a Mexican... uh, civil rights movement um and she is a feminist icon as well and you know there's a lot of questions she was brought into question a lot about why she wasn't better known in her lifetime because undeniably she's a very talented woman and why is it that we are so fascinated with her story you know, in in a world that actually really shies away from telling the stories of minorities, especially people of color, um, LGBTQI uh, uh, plus people, and also uh, disabled people. I think disabled people have this. They are the the largest minority, and yet the least represented in some cases. And. It's very interesting to see that this caricature that modern society has made of her often forgets that she was, you know, a person and she was a a woman who loved a man who apparently loved her, but, you know, who knows. Basically what I'm trying to say is that the, the view that we have of Frida in our time is, I don't believe, a a very accurate one. She has such a rich history and such deep feeling in her work, and it's all reflected in her, in her life. And you can, I think you can really easily see that, and yet we still shy away from this, this person, uh, who was multifaceted and, and a very clever person and basically i'm obsessed with her not only because i was introduced to her to her through her caricature but also because through further research i feel like i understand her work more and i understand mexican culture more she was a really good representative of Mexican culture especially at in the time that she was alive and I can I am just so obsessed with history that the the ability that she gives us to look into this window of of Mexico is really irreplaceable and truly is one of a kind All in all, a fascinating lady and um, I love her. And I really hope you guys have enjoyed this episode of the podcast. As always, you can find all the images and paintings that I've been talking about through this podcast on my Instagram and my Twitter at The Art Roundup. If you guys have any other suggestions for what you want to see in the future, please do let me know by commenting on my Instagram. I love to know uh, what you guys are fascinated with at this time um that's all folks i'll see you next week bye